knocked out these, these ideas in saying that the Old Covenant, sure enough, came with glory. And we talked about the glories of the Old Covenant, but we talked about the failings of the Old Covenant and the weaknesses of the Old Covenant. Then we talked about the superiority of the New Covenant, about the better mediator and the better sacrifice and the true forgiveness and the real relationship that is brought to us in the New Covenant. And we laid out all those principles. I told you for a full treatment of that, you need to study the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. And then last week, Paul began to apply those principles to our ministry, that if we are serving the Lord in a better covenant, the best covenant, the new covenant, then we should preach the gospel with great boldness, right? That we should not preach the gospel as, as hopeful that this is the right thing or as doubtful that maybe it's not the right thing or one of many truths, but rather we preach the gospel with absolute certainty, with absolute assurance, and with absolute boldness. We preach the gospel with boldness. We also talked about how while we're preaching and before we preach and after we preach, we need to be praying with confidence because it is God alone who can lift the veil in people's hearts and help them to see the truth and embrace the truth of the gospel and submit or, as your Sunday school lesson said, obey uh, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's so important that we are praying for folks. And you're going to see that as one of the main applications in the text today. And then finally, we talked about how once we have seen the gospel, we've heard the gospel thanks to the preaching of a faithful saint, we have understood the gospel thanks to God through his spirit lifting the veil in our hearts, we need to be growing in godliness. We need to be being transformed from glory to glory, conformed always to the image of Christ. That's the way the process works. Really what we saw last week was the whole journey of discipleship from hearing the gospel to believing the gospel and growing in godliness. We need to be a part of all of that. Really, we asked two questions at the end of last week. First was, has the veil been lifted from your heart? And it's really the question that's going to hang over what we talk about today. Has the veil been lifted in your heart? And if not, we're praying already that God would lift that veil. And my encouragement to you is that you would pray that God would lift that veil. If it hasn't already been lifted, that you would ask God to lift the veil, help you to see and understand the gospel, embrace it, and obey it. And then the last question we talked about is, can others see Jesus in your face? We saw Moses come down off that mountain with a glowing face, and everyone could tell he had been in the presence of God. The question for us is, can folks tell that we've been in the presence of God? If we've been in the presence in a greater way even than Moses was, can they tell that we've been with Christ? Can they see it in our face? Can they tell it in our lives? I hope they can. I hope they can, and that they will see you and not just see you, but they will see him in you and be drawn to him. This week in chapter 4, we're going to see more of the application of the ministry of the new covenant. You'll hear Paul for the next few weeks talk about how we press forward in the midst of oppression, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of tribulation. And as I study this text and prepare for it uh, and come before you to preach it today, I'm convinced that this is for someone in this room. I'm convinced that, that what you're going to hear today from the text is, is, is just for you today. There's somebody in this room who absolutely needs what you're going to hear from the text today. And 2,000 years ago, God spoke it, Paul penned it, and it's been waiting here for you for this day. And it's just for you today. And my encouragement to you is if you're that guy who is discouraged, who is down, who is broken, my encouragement to you is listen closely because this is just for you. Now, having said that, I want you to hear also clearly it's for all of us. It's for all of us. One commentator said that the text today is very encouraging, and we all need encouragement every once in a while, right? And you might not be there today. You might not be down today. You may be on top of the world today. Listen closely anyway, because you're not going to stay on top of the world forever. You're going to go through some difficult times, and you're going to need to remember this. 
So as much as I believe this is for maybe particularly a couple of people in this room today, I believe it's also for all of us. I believe that's the way God's word works is it is for all of us. And so my encouragement is for all of us to listen very closely to what he has to say to us. Speaking of encouragements, I want to say thank you to to you guys, First Baptist Church, for all the cards and notes and gifts that you have given to us over the last few weeks. Pastor Appreciation Month has been great. I am glad to be here, overjoyed to be serving you here. Love it here, and I appreciate you guys and and your encouragement to us. Let's read the text, and we'll get into it today. Chapter 4, starting in verse 1, we'll get through verse 6 today. It says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy... We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God said, Let light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who is shown in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Let's pray together. God, we are thankful for your word today. Uh, Thankful for the encouragement that you bring to us through your word. God, I pray today especially you will meet with and speak to those who are hearing this today who are down. They're discouraged. They're broken. They're needy. Ready to give it up and walk away. God, I pray that you'll speak to them today. And that you will encourage them. That they will hear, like Paul heard, not to lose heart but to keep eyes focused on you, to remain faithful to you, to keep preaching your truth clearly and leave the results and the response to you. God, I pray that you will encourage those who are discouraged today. And God, I know there's a whole other group of people hearing this today who don't understand any of this. They don't understand what ministry looks like. They don't understand what relationship with you looks like. They are far from you because of their sin and they don't understand at all about why Jesus would die for them. They don't understand at all that Jesus died for them and rose again. God, my prayer, as it has been all week and all morning, is that you would do what only you can do and lift the veil on their hearts and open the eyes and open the ears so that they might see and hear and receive and believe and obey the gospel. God, help me to be clear. passionate in preaching the truth. But God, we depend on you to speak it into hearts. We depend on you to open hearts and give a good response. God, help us today. Help us to respond rightly to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, starting in verse 1. Uh, my pastor growing up, uh, when he was preaching and came across the word therefore, he would say, when we see the word therefore in the scriptures, we always must ask, what's it there for? And, and, and more I think about that, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, but it helps me remember that that's an important word. 
It's an important word because it reminds us that, that what we're seeing today is tied to something that we've already seen. That these texts don't stand alone. It's, it's not as if we look at chapter 4 verses 1 to 6 outside of the context of 1 Corinthians. Or that we look at first Corinthians, 2 Corinthians outside of the context of Paul's letters. Or that we look at Paul's letters outside of the context of the New Testament. You get where I'm going with this? That all of this is tied together. And when we see the word therefore, it reminds us that it's tied together. And it's tied closely to something that preceded it. I believe that the therefore in verse 1 stretches back to verse 7. When Paul started to apply the principles that he had laid out about the differences between the old covenant and the new covenant. Maybe more particularly, it ties back to the therefore in verse 12. If you look at verse 12, that's where he really began into the application. He started in the application and now he's going to give an even more specific application about ministry under the new covenant. It is important that we realize that this is carrying over from last week. I was talking with a friend of mine this past week about how difficult it is sometimes to preach the epistles a little bit at a time. Uh, to preach these letters a little bit at a time, I said, I'm really struggling lately. I'm preaching longer than the people would like me to preach because I don't know when to stop. I don't know where to stop because really what I would like to do is preach the whole letter in one shot. That's the way it was written, right? The choir's up for that. Did you hear them? Like, yeah, let's, let's do that. You guys aren't so crazy about that. It's hard. It's hard sometimes to know where to stop because it's all connected. And, and so I want to stop today and remind you, it's all connected. Don't forget about what we've talked about last week or last month. And don't forget there's more to come that we're going to look forward to what is ahead. And we need to remember those kind of things. Look what he says next. He says, therefore, based on these things I've already told you, he says, since we have this ministry as we received mercy, I want to stop there and say that Paul knew that it was a privilege to be in ministry. He knew it was a privilege to serve the way he did. He also knew clearly, vividly what he deserved from God. Because of his sin. Paul knew that what he was a part of was a gift of mercy. And it was a gift of grace. Paul knew that because of his sin, he deserved nothing but anger, nothing but wrath, nothing but judgment, nothing but punishment from God. And so when he talks about his ministry, he says, I've received this. I've received this ministry as a gift. And it is a merciful gift. And we need to be reminded about that. I need to be reminded about that. That the, the salvation that I enjoy certainly was a gift of mercy. But not only is the salvation that we enjoy a gift of mercy, the talents and the abilities that we have and the positions he has put us in and the responsibilities he's given to us as his servants are also gifts of mercy and we need to appreciate them as a high privilege it is hear me clearly it is a high privilege to preach the gospel week in and week out to you guys it is a high privilege to teach a Sunday school class. Some of you are there it is a high privilege and a gift of mercy to work in the nursery amen it is a high privilege and a gift of mercy to sing in the choir or to play in the band or to run the soundboard in the back. All of these positions that God has given to us, all of these ministries under the new covenant that God has given to us, they are gifts. And we should not be down about them. We should not be overwhelmed and burdened by them. We should enjoy them and cherish them and recognize them as a sweet gift of mercy from the Lord, right? We need to be reminded about that. We need to be reminded that these things that we enjoy are gifts from God, given by His mercy. Look what he says next. He says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. And that begs the question, why would a minister of the gospel ever lose heart? Yeah, good. That was a joke. And the, and the preacher's kid in the back got it, right? I could tell you a thousand ways the minister of the gospel could lose heart. 
I could tell you a thousand ways I have been tempted to lose heart practically. And I, I thought about that as, as I was preparing this. I thought, well, I'll give them a laundry list of things that I've experienced that have really burdened me and weighed me down and caused me to be discouraged. And then I was reminded by a good friend of mine this week that the discouragements and the persecutions and the tribulations that I face are nothing compared to those of the author of this letter. If we read in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, we will see about all the tribulations and the trouble that Paul faced for preaching the gospel. And I can tell you from experience, the troubles I have faced are nothing compared to those, right? Never have I been run out of town. Never have I been beaten. Never have I been stoned nearly to death. Never have I been persecuted the way he has been persecuted, right? And then, as I think about the greatness of his persecutions, I'm reminded that his persecutions, even though mine don't compare to his, his don't compare to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And so when I, when I think about the troubles and the things that would cause me to lose heart, I actually am encouraged because there are so many who are ahead of me who have suffered so much more. And I look to them as my role models. I look to them as my uh, mentors in this. And I follow them through the troubles and tribulations. Paul says he knew what it was like to lose heart. Or at least to be tempted to lose heart. And he says, we've received this ministry as a gift of mercy. And we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. Even though we're tempted to. Even though our flesh may fail. Even though there may be discouragements that come into our lives. We don't lose heart, right? And what's the secret to not losing heart? Well, that's what Paul's going to outline for the next couple weeks in 2 Corinthians. He's going to say, how can you not lose heart in the midst of all this pain of ministry? Because it's tough, right? It's tough to stand up and preach the gospel week in and week out. Believe it or not, it is. It's tough to teach a Sunday school class, isn't it? How many of you have faced that where you worked hard to prepare your lesson and you had it all together and you gave it everything you had in your Sunday school class and the whole class sat around the table looking at you like you were crazy, right? Like you might as well have been speaking Greek to them. They didn't hear a word of it. They didn't understand a word of it. That's discouraging, isn't it? But we don't lose heart, right? We don't lose heart because of Jesus Christ. We fix our eyes on Him. We remain faithful to Him. We serve Him. And we do not lose heart. And Paul's going to tell us what it looks like to not lose heart. Seems like in these verses, the main discouragement that Paul was facing was rejection. That there were people in Corinth who were just absolutely rejecting him. They were absolutely rejecting his message. And this is what he says about it. He says, we don't lose heart, but... And now he begins to outline what his ministry looks like. He says, We have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, committing ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. He's going to start, as he outlines the way his ministry works, he's going to start with some things that it does not look like and then end with what it does look like, okay? He's going to start with some negatives and end with some positives. And the first negative he says is, We have renounced the things hidden because of shame. In other words, what he's talking about here is his character and his behavior. He says, my behavior vindicates my message, essentially. He says, I'm not involved in things that have to happen in the dark. I'm not involved in things that have to be hidden because they are shameful things. He's saying, my behavior affirms the gospel message. It doesn't deny the gospel message. And I think that in saying this, he's accusing in some ways the troublemakers in Corinth saying that their lives really don't line up with the message they're preaching. Their lives, just like all the false prophets in the New Testament, their lives indicate that they are far from God. Paul says, I have renounced the things hidden because of shame. I've renounced these sinful things that have to happen in the dark and live a lifestyle that is worthy of the gospel. Secondly, he says... Not only does he not do certain things in his behavior, he says, I don't walk in craftiness. And I believe there he's talking about the way he talks to people. 
In other words, what he says is, I don't, I don't lie. I don't pull tricks on you. He's going to say later on in 2 Corinthians that that's what Satan does. That word for craftiness is the same word he's going to use later for the way Satan deceived Eve in the garden. She, he tricked her into eating the fruit, right? And all of that encounter where he said, oh, did God really say don't eat this? Did God really say you would die? Did God really say these things? He's going to say, that's not the way I preach. I'm not tricky like the serpent. I'm not tricky like Satan. Some people are. Some people preach a gospel and it's full of smoke and mirrors. He says, that's not the way I do it. I don't give craftiness in speech. Look what he says next. He says, not only have we renounced the sinful things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God. A lot of preachers around the world today adulterating the word of God, taking God's word, removing it from its context, making it say something that it was never intended to say, and applying it to people's lives in a way it was never intended to apply. Paul says, it's not the way I do it. It's not the way I do it. I'm not trying to trick people. I'm not trying to uh, skirt the truth. I'm not trying to sugarcoat the truth. This is what he says about the way he does preach. Look at it at the end of verse 2. He says, but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Paul says this, I preach it straight. I preach it straight. I give it to him straight. I don't pull any punches. I don't sugarcoat the truth. I just tell him the gospel. And if it brings me shame, so be it. If they run me out of town for it, so be it. But I just manifest the truth. Not only do I speak it, I display it. He says, I just give it to them straight. I got it straight, and I give it to them straight. That's what a preacher is supposed to do, right? I remember when I was in college, they told me that the word for preach in the New Testament can be translated as to proclaim the decrees of the king. That changed the way I think about preaching. Totally changed the way I think about preaching. If preaching is simply to proclaim the decrees of the king, the message is not up to me, right? The message did not originate with me. I didn't make this stuff up, and so I'm not the one that takes heat when the message falls on people's ears in a bad way. Rather, I just go to town like a herald would, and I stand up on my soapbox and I say, this is what the king says. This is what the king says. And it comes with the weight and the authority of the king, not the weight and authority of the herald, right? That's what we do when we preach the gospel. We simply stand up and say, this is what God says. This is what he says. And Paul says that's the way he preaches. And if you preach like that, some people are going to hate it, right? Because they don't like the king. They don't like the king. And they don't like his words. And so when you preach the words of the king, some people are going to hate it. But we've pledged our allegiance to the king, right? We are serving the king. And so we will say what he says to say. Paul says, I have not gone the way of these false teachers. I have not gone the way of these troublemakers by a sinful, shameful lifestyle. I haven't manipulated you with my speaking. I haven't tried to deceive you and adulterate the word of God and twist it and make it say what I want it to say. He says, I just stand up and tell it to you. I just stand up and tell you what the Lord has to say. That's what we need to do, right? That's what I need to do. But I'm not the only one that preaches the gospel around here, right? Some of you are thinking, no, you're not. Joe preaches it and Brad preaches it and others preach it. No, you all preach it, right? We're all preachers of the gospel. So just preach it and preach it straight. You're a herald. Declare the decrees of the king. Look at verse 3. Verse 3 is interesting. Because in saying this, Paul is acknowledging that even though he preaches the gospel with simplicity, even though he preaches it with clarity, even though it's vindicated by his godly way of living, it is often rejected. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Paul makes great efforts to be clear with the gospel. And if you don't believe that, read his letters. 
He is absolutely clear with the gospel, can boil it down at times to a sentence that is just full of gospel truth. He wants to be very clear with it. He wants to back it up by godly living. But everywhere he goes, there are people who will reject the gospel. And there are some people that say, Paul, 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 people are rejecting your gospel. You need to change your message a little bit. You need to make your message a little more palatable, Paul. The reason why people are rejecting your gospel is because you just give it to them so straight. You tell them that they're sinners, and you tell them that Christ is the only hope. You tell them that Christ died for them, and if they don't repent and believe in him, they'll perish for all of eternity. That's the way you speak to them, Paul. Don't you know, Paul, you'll catch more flies with honey? You hear people talk like that today about preachers? Absolutely. I heard one fellow refer to a friend of mine as a hard preacher. Ooh, I don't know how long he'll last there. He's a hard preacher. I know this guy. He is a hard preacher because he preaches the scriptures. I thought, this is the greatest compliment. I hope somebody calls me a hard preacher someday. This is the greatest compliment a guy could ever get because the gospel's hard, right? And it's beautiful to those who are being saved. But to those who are perishing, to those who are perishing, it's foolishness. To those who are perishing, it's a stumbling block. To those who are perishing, it's an offense. But to those who are being saved, it is beauty and glory and sweetness. Amen? And so we preach the gospel. We preach the gospel. We don't change it. We don't manipulate it. We don't twist it so that it's more palatable. It's not palatable until God removes the veil that's on your heart. Look what he says. He says, if our gospel is veiled, which reminds us of some of the language from last week, he says, if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. It's those who are perishing that don't understand. It's those who are perishing that cannot see. And then he goes on to elaborate a little more about what he means by this. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Catch what's going on there? He says, listen, I preach it. I just preach it. I just give it to you straight about what Jesus has done for you, about who you are in your sin, about what you deserve in judgment against your sin, about Jesus dying on the cross for you, stepping in as your substitute, bearing your sin upon himself, suffering the wrath and anger that you deserve, rising again victorious over all of it, right? He says, I just, I just give that to people straight. But for some of them, the God of this world has blinded them, put, put a veil on their hearts so that they cannot see this. And they cannot understand it. So what do we do with that? What do we do with this whole idea? This is blowing my mind. When he says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see, even though Paul is declaring it clearly, even though he's backing it up with his life, they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What do we do with this? One commentator said it this way. He said, people are not blinded because they choose to renounce the gospel. Rather, they choose to renounce the gospel because they are blind. Now, if that's right, and and I think it is, If they don't reject the gospel because they are blind, but they are blind, no. If they aren't blind because they reject the gospel, they reject the gospel because they are blind, what do we do? We give them glasses? Glasses don't help a blind man. Right, we, 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 make it, we make it visible, right? But if I stand up here with the blind man and I've got the eye chart with the big E at the top and who knows what the rest of those letters are at the bottom, right? And you guys are all blind and I'm standing up here and saying, what do you see, what do you see? He says, I don't see anything. I don't see anything. What if I say, oh, I'm not picking on you, but you're, you're on the right track. What if I say, oh, t- take these glasses, blind man, then you'll be able to see better. And I hold them up, what's he going to say? I can't see anything. I can't see anything. So what do I need to do for that man? I need someone who can give him sight, Right? 
Even though I'm holding it up for him to see, even though I'm declaring the gospel for them to hear, they can't see and they can't hear because they've been blinded by the God of this world. So what do I do? Do I go to the God of this world and say, stop blinding them? Stop blinding them. Take the blinders off of them. Let them see. Is the God of this world, who is Satan, by the way, is he going to say, okay, Chris, whatever you say. No, that's his job. That's what he does, right? His whole mission is to keep people blind. What do I need to do if I've got a bunch of blind people who cannot see the gospel that I'm holding up? A bunch of deaf people who cannot hear the gospel I'm proclaiming. A bunch of dead people who cannot cannot respond to the gospel I'm proclaiming. What do I do? I go to the Father. Ask him to give sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, life to the dead, right? And he does it. He does it by his power. That's what we need to do. This is the application today. Number one, you preach the gospel with clarity. You preach it with clarity. Give it to them straight. Don't cheat them. Don't trick them. Don't manipulate them. You just preach the gospel straight to people, right? That's what we've been called to do. And you preach it as straight and as clear and as powerfully as you can. And you spend all the rest of your time on your knees praying that God would lift the veil from their hearts. That God would give sight to their eyes and hearing to their ears and a softness to their hearts so that they might receive and believe and obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? Because that's got to happen. We can preach it with all the clarity in the world and if God doesn't give them eyes to see, they will not see. We can preach it with all the clarity in the world and if God does not give them ears to hear, they will not hear. So we must spend serious time in prayer for them, right? Are you with me on this? It's what we're dealing with. It's what it says right here in the text. Look at it. Look as he develops his thought. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You remember when you saw that? You remember when you saw that in the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God? You remember when you saw that? Who made you see? God made you see that. God brought sight to your eyes so that you might see that. Glory to his name, right? And so we pray for our families. We pray for our community. We pray for the nations. As we are going and preaching the gospel with clarity, we are praying constantly. God, open their eyes. God, lift the veil. God, let them see the truth of the gospel and believe it. We don't just preach. We preach. We preach. We preach. And we pray. And we pray. And we pray. We beg God to lift the veil. It's over people's hearts. Look what he says in verse 5. He says, We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Here he's going to talk about his ministry. He says, this is not about me. It's not about me. This, this preaching and this prayer and this ministry of the new covenant is glorious and wonderful and a gift of mercy. It's not about me. He learned this from John the Baptist, didn't he? John the Baptist is that guy, right? That guy who goes along and he preaches and they say, are you the one? Are you the one? No, 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 right? No, no, no. I'm not the one. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I'm not the one. There he is. There he is. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Go follow him. John says to his followers, go follow him. He's the one. He's the Messiah. Paul says, that's what I do. I don't preach myself, but Jesus as Lord, right? Amen to that. One commentator said this. He said, our job is to make Jesus known and then keep out of the way. Make sure we don't get in the light. I love that. That's what we do. We give it to him straight. We preach Jesus as Lord and then we get out of the way. 
Don't dare get in his spotlight because it is all about him. Paul says, I don't preach myself, I preach Jesus. He is the content of every message. He is the subject of all the talks. He is the object of our faith. He is the one in the spotlight all the time. We do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Then notice what he says about himself. This is huge. He says about himself, we don't preach ourselves, but Jesus is Lord. And ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. He says, we are your slaves for Jesus' sake. Now, we need to be clear about something here. Paul is not saying that they are his master, that the Corinthian believers are his masters. He is not saying that they are the ones who give him directions and he is ultimately submissive to him. Rather, he says, my master, Jesus, has told me to serve you as your slave, right? And in serving you as your slave, he is ultimately serving his master and not you directly, right? It would be like back in the day when there were slaves, if a master of a slave said, slave, I want you to go serve this friend of mine as if you were his. What would the slave do? He would go serve that one, not to serve that one necessarily, but to serve his master to whom his allegiance has been pledged, right? And that's the way it works with pastors. That's the way it works with Sunday school teachers. That's the way it works with nursery workers. That's the way it works in all of God's ministers. That we serve the people. We serve the people as their slaves. But ultimately, we are doing it in service to the Lord who has purchased us. Right? Whose slaves we are indeed. Right? So first, Paul says... He is, they are not his master. He has but one master. Second, this master of his, the Lord Jesus, has clearly called him to serve the people. And third, his service to them is ultimately service to him, right? And this helps him in the difficult times. This idea that, they are, that he is their servant for Christ's sakes helps him when they're bad to him. I want you to hear that clearly. If you set your eyes on those little kids in the nursery and you make it all about your service to those little kids in the nursery, or if you guys make it all about those guys, and I just want to sing for them, and I just want to make a pretty sound for them, you guys could do the same thing. If you make it all about those guys, if I make it all about you, if I set my eyes only on you, you will turn on me someday. Mark, I already know that, all right? I'm not, I'm not naive, I'm young, but I'm not stupid, right? You will turn on me someday. Individually, collectively, I don't know what it will look like, but we will have trouble someday, right? And if my eyes are set only on you, if I only see you as the ones I serve, that will destroy me. That will destroy me. When I teach my Sunday school class and they say, you know what, we, we, we kind of want someone else to teach our Sunday school class for a while. Why don't you take a break for a little while? That would destroy me. If my eyes are only on you, but if, like Paul says, I am a bondservant of you for Christ's sake, when I'm able to look beyond you to the Lord Jesus Christ who told me to serve you, then when things go bad, it'll be okay, right? It'll be okay because ultimately I'm only serving you because he told me to. I'm only serving you because he sent me here, right? And then we don't lose heart when things go bad. Paul is all about the encouragement here, all about ministry and how we need to have a bigger vision than just the people in front of us, even though he says, we are your bondservants for Jesus' sake. We need to remember that in whatever type of service we are in. We are not directly serving the people. We are directly serving him through the people. Amen? Now look at this last part. This is huge. 
Verse 6 is absolutely huge. Look what he says about salvation. He says, For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Basically, what Paul is doing here is he is asserting that the miracle of conversion is on par or perhaps greater than the miracle of creation. We sang a song a little while ago, right? Savior. He can move the mountains. Our God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save, and I like it. I like that song because that's who he is, right? The Savior that can move the mountains is the one who can save us. But I think it falls short. I think that song could be better. I think that song could go, Savior, who made the mountains? Not only can he move them, he made them. He spoke them into existence. You realize that's how all of this creation took place, right? God spoke And what was not became what is. Right? God spoke and mountains rose up out of the water. That's the same way he speaks and brings you to life. It's the same way he speaks and forgives you of your sins. It's the same way he speaks and lifts the veil that is on your heart. It's the same way he speaks and gives sight, spiritual sight to you. The miracle of conversion is on par, or I would argue greater, than the miracle of creation. It is this creation power that God manifests to bring us to himself. It is this creation power that God manifests to cleanse us of our sins and make us his children. It is a miracle. And Paul knew that. This is the guy who got it and never got over it, right? He's walking on the road to Damascus, pocket full of letters to go persecute some Christians, right? That's what he was doing, going to take them to jail, going to see to it that they were killed. And he met Jesus, and everything changed, right? That is a miracle of miracles that God could change a man like him. And it is a miracle of miracles that he could change a man like me. And it is a miracle of miracles that he could change a person like you. And he can. He can. He has. And he will. It's good news. It's good news for us, right? Three applications today. Then we're done. Number one is this. You need to remember, service, ministry is a gift and a privilege. You need to remember that. Those of you who are down, who are bummed out. Talk to a guy just this morning, totally bummed out because of some difficulty in ministry. We need to be reminded that the ministry that we have, no matter what it is, it's a gift of mercy. It's a gift we have received. Remember that and don't lose heart. Remember, it's a privilege, and don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in the midst of that privilege. And remember, it's a gift, and serve with passion. Serve with joy. Don't serve out of drudgery and duty. Serve out of delight, because it is a delight to serve the Lord, right? Service, ministry, is a gift and a privilege. Remember that, and don't lose heart. Remember that, and serve with passion. Application number two, pray for ears to hear eyes to see, veils to be lifted. I'm serious about this, and this is, this is what has wrecked me over the last couple of weeks. This is what I need to do. Not just spend a lot of time making sure we make the gospel clear. Spend a lot of time begging God to remove the veil on people's hearts. Spend a lot of time begging God to give eyes to the blind. I need to do that at my own home. I've got some blind kids at my house got some kids with veils over their heart. They, they hear it over and over again, and they don't get it. I need to spend time praying that God would lift that veil from their hearts. We live in a community. 
most of whom don't know anything about Jesus. They've heard about Jesus plenty, right? You have to work really hard not to hear the gospel in Harrisburg. They've heard about him plenty, but they don't care. They don't get it. They're certainly not obeying the gospel, so what do I need to do? Say it louder? Say it more clearly? Yeah, I do. And pray like crazy that God would give them eyes to see and ears to hear. All of it is what we need to do. Let me pray for the nations. Right? We're going to talk this afternoon about some opportunities to go and preach the gospel where the gospel has not been preached at all. And we need to go do that. We really do. We need to go preach the gospel and make it clear there. But we don't need to do that without praying first and during and after that God will give eyes to them, that they would see the emptiness of their paganism and see the glory of Christ. Only God can give that. And so we must pray for our neighborhoods, our families, our communities, and the nations that God would give ears to hear, eyes to see, and that veils would be lifted. And listen to this carefully. Some of you need to pray that for yourself today. Some of you sit here and listen, and you hear it every week, and you don't care, or you don't get it. You say, wait a minute, I'm a sinner? I'm a, really? I'm a sinner? I know some people way worse than me. I know some people in this room way worse than me. And you're going to tell me I'm a sinner? Yeah. I'm telling you exactly that. We are all sinners. But only God can show you that. Only God can reveal that to your heart. Only God can convict you of your sin. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying not only am I a sinner, you're saying I deserve punishment and hell for my sin? Yes. That doesn't make any sense. I deserve hell? I thought God was loving and kind and just. He is. And that's exactly why you deserve hell. I'm telling you, you hear that every week and you, you don't get it. Pray that God would show it to you, that he would remove the veil and help you understand it. And maybe the best thing that you could understand, you mean, you mean the Son of God would come to earth, live without sin, and then die on a cross for me? You, you, mean, you mean the Son of God would take my sins as his own, suffer my punishment, die my death, and rise again, beat it all, and then offer the victory to me? Are you serious? Yes! Yes, I'm serious! It's what drives our lives. It's what drives our hearts. I'm dead serious about it. But you don't understand it. So pray that God would give you understanding. Pray that he would give you eyes to see that. Because, because listen, we were all there. All of us in this room who know him, we used to be there. Oh, come on, preacher. Just wrap it up. I'm hungry. We used to be there. It used to be foolishness to us. Stumbling block to us. and offense to us. But now... It's the sweetest thing to us. It's our hope. It's our lives. It's our bedrock. My prayer for you has been all morning that God would lift the veil. Maybe you need to pray that for yourself. Oh, God, lift the veil. I want to understand. I want to be excited about something more than football. I want to be excited about something more than the weather. God, give me hope. Give me life. Give me forgiveness. Lift the veil. I want to see Jesus. I believe you pray that prayer. He'll lift the veil. Yeah, I really do. Pray this for yourself. If the gospel doesn't make sense to you, ask God to remove the veil. Pray for ears to hear, eyes to see, veils to be lifted. That's application number two. Application number three is this. Conversion is a miracle on par with creation. Listen, God spoke and light shone. There wasn't light before. That's amazing, right? 
There wasn't light. God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. God spoke and planets were created. There were not planets. God said, planets. And there were planets after that. God spoke and mountains rose out of the sea. God spoke and things came to be. Why do you think if he can do that, he couldn't change you? You get where I'm going with this? If he can do all of that, he can change you. And there are people that sit around, they hear the gospel, and they say, okay, I get it, that's fine, but you don't know me. And you don't know how far I've gone, and you don't know the things I've done. You're right, I don't. I can tell you this, though, it couldn't be worse than me. Couldn't be worse than me. I know my heart, couldn't be worse than me. He can change you. He can change you. And he will. He will if you call out to him. No one is beyond his reach. No one is beyond his power. No one is too far gone. You ask him to remove the veil. You ask him to give you eyes to see. You run to him for mercy and grace. You run to him for forgiveness. You put your trust in him. You repent of your sins and he'll change you forever. He'll make you a whole new creature. Paul's going to say that in just a couple weeks. You know that? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. In fact, a lot of the books I read about this verse kept using that word recreation. He does it. He did it the first time. He can make you a new creature. It's that kind of power that he has. I hope you know that. I hope you believe that. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you for your power to save. You are mighty to save. You move mountains. You make mountains. You created all that exists. You are mighty to save. Our prayer today is that you will lift the veil that's over people's hearts. That you will give them eyes to see and ears to hear and a life to respond to the gospel message. God, we thank you for the privilege and gift of proclaiming that message. Help us to do it with clarity. Help us to teach people straight about their sin. Help us to teach them straight about judgment and wrath and hell. Help us to teach them straight about Jesus Christ being the only hope, the only sacrifice, the only way. Help us to teach them straight about his death for their sins, his resurrection, victory over sin and death and hell. Help us teach them straight about what it means to respond, to repent of sins, to turn away from sins, and to believe, to trust, to depend on you alone to save them. God, help us to teach it straight. But God, only you can speak it to their hearts. Only you can change their lives, and so we call on you to do that. Oh God, would you remove the veil? Oh God, would you give a blind man sight today? Oh God, would you give a deaf man ears? Oh God, would you give a dead man life? We cannot. You can. You are mighty to save. We ask that you will do it. Not, not for our sakes. For your own sake. For your own glory. For your own renown. So that you will be worshipped. God, do it. And help us respond in Christ's name.